Right, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, we're back uh, for another episode of Thoughts on Films, the only podcast, or maybe not the only podcast, but certainly a podcast, the uh, a podcast that thinks aloud on films in Malaysia and beyond. My name is Fikri, and on the line with me today is our good brother Muz. Hello, brother Muz. Hey, man. Hey, everyone. I'm back. As usual. As usual, Don't indeed. <laughs> yeah, but always uh, with with a very uh, interesting and insightful opinion. Uh, hopefully, we'll have uh, more than just a little bit of that today. Uh, for now, uh, a, a bit of housekeeping to get to. Some things to tick off the list uh, since uh, we last recorded our podcast episode. But uh, unfortunately, we begin with uh, some uh, bad news, so to speak, uh, because uh, the Malaysian film industry... Uh, lost a particular someone. Uh, it's only a few weeks ago that we did uh, an episode of, of obituaries. And so it's, it's never pleasant to go through one of these. Uh, but unfortunately, um, we have to do one now. Um, Rosdi bin Othman, uh, Rosdi Genji, uh, the late Rosdi, uh, someone who passed away on the 24th of May, 2020. Uh, he was a 24-year-old artist with Studio Ace Productions. A very young man, 24 years old, brother. I mean, it's never pleasant uh, at whichever age, but but this is especially young, so it's especially sad. I don't actually know him personally, but uh, he did play a key role in the art direction for Legend of Ancient Borneo, a film which we recently reviewed. And he was credited for the film's environment design, look development, color design, and background art. Uh, in terms of our perspective on, on those areas in the film, by and large, it is a positive one. This is what I wrote about the film. Uh, I like the fairly straightforward animation style of the film, which is not to say it is easy to achieve. Yet I can fully appreciate the animation work here, not just because its style is very suitable for the tale at hand, but also because it stands out in a sea of other CGI-heavy efforts. And, and that's basically, in, in my book, uh, a very positive view uh, of, of the film's uh, animation's look. He's, uh, he was also a creator of uh, Fist Wielder, a very well-received webtoon. Uh, a lot of uh, people have uh, followed it online. And I think, quite frankly, um, no better to turn to uh, than someone who knows him a lot better. Uh, that person would be Sin Chun Hao, the founder of Ace uh, Stewart Ace Productions and the director of Legend of Ancient Borneo. Uh, in a Facebook post, this is what he wrote about Rosti. I can still remember when he first shared with me the concept. Um, this is of a fist wielder, uh, that is, the aforementioned webtoon. His eyes were beaming with excitement and enthusiasm. His determination has affirmed to me that he will see it through. I never doubted him. We drafted chapters after chapters of the story, it went through many rounds of concept development, character designs and everything. Even though he was the one that did all the drawing, he never complained. In fact, he was enjoying it. He loved it. It's a labor, it's a labor of love. We saw the series grew from 2,000 subscriptions in just a few days when it was released last year, and now it's at more than 25,000 subscribers, which is astounding. Uh, you have done a great job, Rose. 
We are very proud of you. We all are. Looking back, it's almost one year since we started Fist Wilder and look at how far we've gone. I would never have expected this to happen. Not like this. There are still many things to be done, many goals to achieve. Without you, things are never the same. We still have stories to tell. I hope you're in peace now. Maybe you're still busy drawing on the other side. Don't you worry, we will finish what you started as a team. Please watch over us. This time, we will make you proud. Those, uh, ladies and gentlemen, those were the words of uh, Sin Chun Hao, someone who knew him a lot better, uh, certainly far better than we would know of him. He will always be remembered as an outstanding artist, a reliable comrade, a good friend, a caring son, and a loving brother. Muz, mm. I, I don't think you... You and I have much to add here beyond the good word, uh, the good words of uh, uh, Chun Hao. Um, but yeah, twenty-four is, is never the right age. It feels right. My condolences to his family. His grief. Uh, you know, seeing uh, young, and uh, I believe uh, probably during his passing, he was in his peak of his career. Mm. Uh, you know, it's, it's quite a lot, I think, to those who inspired me. So my condolences to his family. I I, I don't know the I don't know the guys, so, but I'm familiar with the uh, craft that he's working on. Webtoons. I think webtoons is uh, is uh, getting traction now. Mm. I didn't know that. I mean, I from what I understand, uh, webtoon is. Uh, Quite popular in Korea, in South Korea. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's like you know, it's like manga, but uh, it's being uh, translated or being uh, being adapted to a uh, web page. So rather than you know, like manga in Japan, where people bought the hard copy version and scan it and share it yeah, uh, for public without any financial incentive given back to the artists or studio. I mean, webtoons give the opportunity for those uh, you know, original creator of the content to mm. make money out of it. So, yeah, I'm familiar with webtoons. Probably I might check uh, his work uh, because uh, I, I there are some webtoons that I follow uh, in the webtoon.com. Oh, really? So, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and also, you know, I right now with all this uh, lockdown thing going on, I have so much time uh, to watch TVs and uh, and whatnot. I notice a lot of uh, recent uh, Korean drama was adapted from webtoons. Yeah, so and it was quite surprising to know that uh, some of these webtoons created with being paid up to one million US dollar per episode. Oh wow! Per chapter. Yeah. Okay. It's probably something something that uh, you know I I interests me. You know, uh, it's a new platform provided uh, for uh, comic artists who you know rather than you know go through the conversation of uh, publication. Now you have the platform to share or make money out of it through digital platform, which is good. Mm. So yeah, 
I don't know that they are Malaysians actually uh, contributing or yeah you know, to webtoon.com. Mm. I thought only South Korean uh, artists uh, being the predominantly uh, featured in that particular website. So to know that they are Malaysians actually uh, contributed or you know used that platform to 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 sell their art, to sell their works. So. I'm back as well after this uh, big more details on who are the greater properties and the ambulations and what so, yeah. right right fair enough I'll share the link with you later uh, and I will share the link uh, with uh, you too dear listeners uh, in the show notes that we'll publish along with this uh, episode when it's up um, sooner rather than later uh, but for now yes uh, our thoughts and good wishes are with his uh, friends and family members and may they have the strength to get through this uh, very difficult time. Um, there's no good segue that we can work with to get to the next point, um, but, but we will move on to the next point all the same. A couple of things that we need to update you, our good listeners, on. The first, well, simply put, Ahmad Idham is now appointed or reappointed as the CEO of Finas. Once again, <laughs> I say once again, and reappointed because he was the CEO uh, just just a few months ago, uh, I guess you could say. And then he stood down. But then he also stood down sometime before that, apparently. Uh, and then there were rumors that he went on a kind of sabbatical until the end of his contract and whatnot. So rightly or wrongly, there's, there's a bit of murky waters there. But But we're here. He's there, and that's where we all are right now. Ahmad Idham back as the CEO of Finas. Another thing that's worth updating is the standard operating procedure for filmmaking in the COVID-19 era. Certainly for Malaysians, uh, this has been a long time coming. It was issued by Majlis Keselamatan Negara or the National Security Council. And the decision was made to allow filmmaking to proceed from the 10th of June, 2020, which was uh, just last week. And the SOPs were released on the 10th of June, 2020. <laughs> so there's very little, I would say, space and, and time for a lot of uh, people, the, the, the common filmmakers, perhaps, like, like my friends and I back in Malaysia, to kind of really go through and comb through the details to see what's what, what what is reasonable, what we can do about this. It's a slightly different approach taken by our authorities, uh, the, the the authorities here in in Malaysia, uh, because in other parts of the world, certainly as we covered before, uh, we we have filmmakers being given the chance to kind of have an a bit of an input into what's what. Um, but we are, ladies and gentlemen, going to share an example from. Uh, a small team of people who did go out to shoot. Um, now, this group of people, uh, I am friends with one of them. Uh, had a chat with him. He shared with me um, some thoughts uh, about what they did and whatnot. And, and we're going to share them with you. Uh, just to let you know, filming is still going on. Uh, this group uh, actually did one kind of filming. Um, we're not going to specify the names, the places uh, they, they went to. Um, so so there'll be some very general details here. But I think it's more than good enough for us to have an idea of the kind of uh, work uh, context uh, people are working with, filmmakers are working in. 
um, in, in these days, uh, the best practices possible, if you will. So basically, this group of people, a team of five people, composed of a producer, a director, and three production assistants slash camera operator slash videographer who set up from KL for a production several states away. Now, you might be wondering, macam mana don't boleh go through the roadblock ni? Basically, they got all their paperwork done. They obtained all the relevant permissions, uh, including from the local authority, the KL police, and um, the police in the state of their... Destination. So I think that covers, you know, all, all the ground that they can cover. Um, they all traveled in a van. It was a 12-seater van for this uh, group of five people. So you have two people at the front, the front driver and the passenger. And they have three rows at the back and one person is in each row. So they practice as much as they can social distancing um, in the van itself. But by and large, uh, it was a smooth journey at every roadblock. They were asked for their names uh, to be cross-checked with the name on the letter as well as the passengers in the vehicle. So, yeah, I think so far so good. At the hotel of their accommodation, only one floor of the hotel was open. So even the hotel itself was not operating um, at full capacity. This is a quote from uh, my friend. This is what he said. So it's eye-opening and kind of saddening to think about the industry, tourism-wise as well as filmmaking-wise, sebab tak boleh keluar shoot. Yet stations and platforms need content. Their own standard operating procedure um, includes wearing a face mask, daily temperature checks, hand sanitizing every time uh, everyone board the van, and of course, social distancing as much as possible. I don't know what the shoot is about, but I imagine, I'm just trying to imagine on on jerit, you know. Hey, kau kau dah charge battery kita? Huh? Apa dia? Kau dah charge battery kita? Yeah, true, true. I'm just yeah, trying to yeah, yeah. try to imagine it. I'm sure it's not quite what I imagine it as, but still, imagine you know a, a film shoot. However many people, social distancing. Oh my goodness! It's gonna be, it's gonna be so interesting. <laughs> and and they said that even when they film the subject matter, they also check their temperature and make sure that they put on the mask. So, yeah, I think, you know, evidence of life going on, the new normal, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, it seems that I don't know. If I were in charge, I don't know what else I would do. So it seems that this is a kind of production where the producers and, and the people in charge kind of considered all the possible precautions they can take uh, and all the paperwork and legalities that needed to be done. Perhaps this is a way forward, brother. So, yes. I guess so. Mm. I mean, well, you still have to pay the bills, right? True. Work. True. In which case, you and I, we should start a company specializing in 12-seater vans because a lot of production companies in Malaysia, they might want to rent from us. That can be a little cash cow. <laughs> For today, we are going to be a lot more focused on one film, and that film is The Masseuse by Tan Si Ding. This is a, it's a short film, but I feel like 
it's, it's not just a short film. It's not any short film. It's something that is worthy of greater attention beyond the tag of short film. This is a film made by Tan Si Ding. Um, it was released in 2017. It was made after Seeding won the 2016 BMW Shorties with the film Hour. I picked up quite a number of awards there. But the biggest award of them all is basically the 75,000 ringgit filmmaking grant made uh, available by BMW and, and perhaps uh, its, its corporate um, entities as well. This is uh, something that has made the BMW Shorties quite a prestigious and sought-after competition in the Malaysian context. Every year, they, they do this competition, and the winners will get this grant to be parlayed into another film. So, CD won the Shorties with Hauer, and the money won from Hauer, from the BMW, from the 2016 BMW Shorties, was made, or was used to make The Masseuse. Uh, the Misuse is a film. Uh, let's, let's get into the synopsis, good brother. It's a science fiction film set in a futuristic Kuala Lumpur. So that already caught my eye. It tells the story of Lum, uh, played by Kusheng, a rookie droid technician who is supposed to service a humanoid masseuse, the TX-59, played by Candy Ice. The TX-59, however, is an out-of-date model working in an era of heightened tensions against uh, such robots. So a lot of human beings basically not really big fans of uh, androids and, and robots coming in to kind of do all sorts of jobs and whatnot. Um, so he's supposed to do something to, ser uh, to service this robot, yet Lung, haunted by a troubled relationship with his father, played by Chen Puyeng, finds himself forming the most humane of relationships with, uh, with a non-human humanoid, which puts him in conflict with uh, the task at hand. Now, I'm going to delve a lot more into the actual film itself uh, later on, uh, but I, I think we should also note how this film is almost like a BMW Shorty's all-star kind of um, film because uh, both actors actually have past experience of the same competition. Uh, Ku Sheng starred in 32 Degrees Fall in Love by Tan Seng Kiat, which won a previous edition of BMW Shorty's. And a few years before that, uh, Candy Ice uh, was uh, in a leading role in Murdered by Dick Chua. So, so yes, so it's not just the director, but also the people in front of the camera, the actors who come with some pedigree in the BMW Shorties competition. For, uh, the film also won the Best Young Filmmaker Award, uh, the CGI and VFX Innovation, the Best Direction, and the Best Digital Sound Design at the 2019 Malaysian Digital Film Awards. So there's plenty of trophies in the cabinet of Tan Si Ding back home. Um, a lot of good stuff that we kind of want to get into. Uh, I, I, I want to get things going with the production design, Moose, uh, if you don't mind. Um, because I think we touched on the idea of this being a fairly futuristic film. The production design here is by Lisha Al Yahya. Uh, for the most part, there's nothing bad here, and there's, there's nothing wrong uh, with it and whatnot. But what's very interesting is that a lot of the sense of the future is actually largely limited to minor touches here and there. So it's a futuristic Kuala Lumpur, but it's not exactly a, you know, it's, it's not like a Blade Runner kind of future, even though there's a lot of Blade Runner vibes that's emanating from this film. So the production design is 
you know, you have, for instance, uh, a number of dilapidated buildings looking fairly realistic enough as it is. Uh, it's like a building that you would come across in real life um, in Kuala Lumpur, in Malaysia. Um, but it is also quite uh, interesting to note how the future, at least as imagined by Tan Siding, is probably not all that different from the present in reality. Uh, and the question I have for you, uh, good brother, is whether this is a reflection of KL uh, in itself. Is, is Kuala Lumpur in some ways already a kind of futuristic city in its own right? Okay, uh, first let's talk about the movie first. Uh-huh. Uh, I, when I watch it, I, you know, after I finish watching it, I, I, I regard it as a, the must use as a cyberpunk movie. Mm. And all the, and all the, uh, the, the, the just, you know, the, 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 the just put, but, uh, how to say that? The, the, the thing that you mentioned about the representative of, uh, uh, KL, the future KL look quite big. Uh, mm. I think it's quite deliberate, you know, from the filmmaker side. I think the, the, the filmmaker tried to portray this dystopian future uh, mm. where it, you know, as if those who are familiar with cyberpunk movies, you might uh, came across this element of mix of high-tech and low-tech. Mm. Okay, uh, yeah, yeah. Technology in it. So, you know, you see you know, a very uh, worn-out, a flat, but you see a lot of uh, this hologram neon being put into the, you know, into the, into the setting. So you just to try to tell the audience that, okay, the, the future, this is how the future looks like in that story. Mm. Uh, so, in sense that uh, the KL is a future city, uh, I'll take it as a, yes, KL is already a futuristic city. Uh, in the sense that uh, there are a lot of uh, imagery of how future should looks like mm. uh, now uh, become materialized. When I was a kid, you know, when I was uh, when I was in uh, well, nine to ten years old, uh, uh, that uh, our uh, our government or prime minister announced Vision uh, Twenty Twenty, where Malaysia will become this. Uh, Developed nation, mm. so the measure of uh, of uh, train of uh, I would say uh, train on the bridge coming up from uh, sky skyscraper become the uh, theme of how the health in the future should should look like. So now that we have MRT, LRT, monorail, and you know, zigzagging in the uh, KL with skyscraper with modern skyscrapers in the middle of uh, uh, I would say uh, outdated building built during the uh, post-war built, uh, infrastructure. So yeah, technically it's already represent the future. Hmm. Just that you know it's a mix of a uh, high tech and low tech, so to speak. And also, even though we still you can still see uh, old cars, you know, the, the, the old cars 
here and there. People still, there's no sign card, but people have uh, uh, no smartphone. Everyone is connected to smartphones. You know, you have these small powerful computers, you know, at the, you know, at the size of your hand, you know, the size of your palm. So, mm. yeah, in a sense, we're already living in the future. Yeah, I can say that KL is already a futuristic thing. And, yeah, I mean, you can say that uh, still have that cyberpunk element to it as well. You know, uh, now KL also start to becoming more neon light, I would say. You know? like yeah, true, in Hong true. Kong uh, and, and, and Japan. So we got a lot of LED, a lot of uh, neon. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Probably, uh, the Korean influence. <laughs> huh? Sorry? The Korean influence. <laughs> yeah, the Korean influence. I think it's more like Japan, I think. Yeah, no, no. I'm, I'm, I'm being flippant, uh, but you're right. Um, uh, I, I see where you're coming from. The, you're right. Yeah. Uh, the representative of this neon city is very uh, Japan or Hong Kong uh, for me. Mm. So, yeah, I think... Uh, <laughs> yeah. So in a way that yeah we I think KL is already a futuristic city. In a way, it's also a, a good setting for cyberpunk. So I think the the, the filmmaker really uh, capitalize uh, the, the the actual element that exists in KL mm. uh, to make that movie. Yep. So, yeah. Yep. They said they did a very good job with it. Um, I must say. I agree with everything you say about cyberpunk there. The only problem is, uh, film ini tak ada Keanu Reeves. So, I think maybe not cyberpunk enough, I guess. <laughs> I mean, I also just waiting for the moment where someone would like, you know, came up with a kung fu move or something. <laughs> On the LRT. <laughs> yeah. Hey, you, Slow robot. Boom. Boom. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I think uh, I think the, the thing about cyberpunk movies is it's all about the, the setting, you know, the, the the world, the world building. Mm. Uh, once you get that, okay, this is that kind of movie, so you know uh, what are the expectations that uh, of this this kind of movie going to deliver. And yes, uh, I think all, all the elements that I, uh, you know, being a fan of cyberpunk. Mm. Uh, genre. Uh, I always have this preconceived idea of how cyberpunk movie should look like, or mm. should you know, should feels like. So I think, uh, yeah, they're, they're, they're all the elements that I expect to be uh, appear or being uh, put incorporated in cyberpunk is all there in the in the museums. So mm. yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, I would agree with you. Uh, as as I mentioned earlier. It certainly looks a little bit more expensive, um, which is uh, a bit of an issue that a number of BMW shorties uh, films or, or films made through the the grant given by uh, BMW shorties. Uh, a lot of people have commented in the past of how some films uh, they don't look seventy five thousand like like is made with seventy five thousand ringgit. So uh, I think this is uh, certainly a film that has lived up. Uh, a little bit more to that front, I would say. Um, I think a part of, of building this whole cyberpunk world comes through from the sound as well. And and watching this film, I'm reminded of Walter Murch, who spoke of the sound being half the image. Basically, if you watch a film, the sound is actually not really something that a lot of people pay attention to. But in a lot of films, if the sound is macam ada sikit saja yang tak betul, you will almost immediately notice that. Do you know what I mean? So, 
the power of the image, a lot of that is also dependent on the power of the sound. And I, th I think in the context of the masseuse, this is certainly a film that holds up that end of this particular bargain. The sound design here is done by Azrin Muhammad Noor. Uh, it really basically makes the future seem like the future. And again, much like the production design, not anything that's particularly... Um, uh, not anything that's particularly weird. It's just like small little touches here and there. So there's like the sound design on the, on the LRT or, or the MRT, for instance. Um, that the train moves, but the sound it makes when it moves is, is just a little bit different. You know, the door opens, yeah, but again, just a slightly different sound. Um, the voice for TX-59 as well, um, again, something slightly different. So so there's this uh, thing here that, that, uh, that I guess you can categorize as a kind of worldizing. Again, another concept by Walter Murch, who spoke of worldizing as, as making the world seem a little bit bigger than it actually is through the using of, uh, uh, through the uh, utilization of sound. So little things like this, I, I really like it. And again, it helps to contribute to the cyberpunk elements um, of feel that you mentioned earlier. But I guess the meat of the sandwich, if I can describe it as such, is just that this film, at least watching it, I just kept thinking, Blade Runner, Blade Runner, Blade Runner. It's just, um, that's the thought that comes to mind a lot. I just wonder whether this is something that you felt as well. Like when you watch this film, uh, were you making this connection to Blade Runner or, or perhaps were there any other films that you can kind of link it to? I think many people uh, uh, really this type of genre with Blade Runner because Blade Runner is like the you know, the godfather of cyberpunk uh, you know, cyberpunk genre you know if, but uh, I can draw a lot of parallel of this movie with a lot of cyberpunk movie that I've watched over the years mm. uh, yes the, the, the Blade Runner uh, feels uh, you know you can have that sense of uh, uh, that similarities between you know the misuse and Blade Runner, but it also contains a lot of elements from other cyberpunk movies, especially uh, you know this might be my own uh, personal opinion. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of uh, anime influence to it. Uh, the, if you go, you know, if you have uh, familiar with anime, it came out in the mid eighties up to the late nineties. There are a lot of cyberpunk uh, anime came up, you know, especially you know, with the battle like Akira, Ghost Shell. Oh, okay, yeah. Okay, so this feature a lot of uh, neon-like uh, city. Mm. Of course, it, uh, it in this anime it reflect uh, you know, it reflect Tokyo because Tokyo is uh, in a way it's a very neon filled city so they try to incorporate that uh, in their anime so this feel similar to that uh, you know feel as well mm. and also the oriental element you know, the, the oriental element that always being featured in uh, cyberpunk anime mm. I can also see the similarities in the messages as well, especially the uh, the misuse uh, Android cyborg, 
the, the cyborg, the, the Versus. Mm-hmm. Now they have that, uh, you know, the double pixie cut, you know, cat mm. eyes, very robotic. So it that kind of imagery of a cyborg being uh, featured a lot in uh, anime. So I already have that sense that okay, this character is a robot, even without she represents herself as a robot. <laughs> yeah, I think it's a haircut. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's a haircut. I think they all look standard. Right? <laughs> they all look also, all these robots <laughs> look the same. Y'all look alike. <laughs> yeah. Because they all have the same template, uh, mm. the same mold. So, yeah, yeah I think uh, I can also can draw parallel to a lot of uh, Hollywood movies uh, that, you know, a lot of the Cyberpunk uh, Hollywood movies. They came out in the 90s and 80s, like Total Recall, like Caesar Pearl, mm. Total Recall. Oh, Total and Recall, also, uh, yeah. Yeah. Totally forgot about Total Recall. I mean, I totally did not recall Total Recall, but you're right. Wow, man. Total, it's a, Total yeah, Recall is one it's of a the good one. best, you know, it's uh, one of those underrated sci-fi movies. It was, it really was. Uh, and uh, you know who made Total it? Recall. Yeah, Paul Of it? course, the <laughs> Dutch master. <Yeah. laughs> Because I was confused uh, because the another movie that came out pretty much around that time is which is Robocop, also a cyberpunk movie. And also by Paul Verhoeven. Is it? I think it's Irving Winkler. Robocop? Yeah. No, Ro- no, no. Robocop is both. Oh, the, I mean, right? Robocop and Total Recall. Uh, oh, both had okay. the same director. It was. I, I, am I right I in saying Robocop was Paul Verhoeven's first? So-called first Hollywood film. Uh, is it? Oh my goodness! You know what, brother? I'm sorry, uh, dear listeners. Do do keep on listening because now my mind's playing tricks with me. <laughs> Robocop director. I'm googling this. I cannot rest easier. It's Paul Verhoeven. There you go. I told you. It is the Dutch master. I think Paul Verhoeven was. Uh, I mean, in terms of visual of Cyberpunk, I think he nailed it. Mm. He bring he, he brought, I think he brought the the the, the, the cyberpunk world that being used that being introduced by the squad to another level. Mm. I like the uh, the, the, the dystopian future of uh, Hollywood cyberpunk movies. Mm. So going back to to, to to our discussion, so yeah, I can draw a lot of parallel with a lot of cyberpunk. Surrounding the character always, 
feel like empty. So like try to portray a sense of loneliness in this very chaotic, stupid future. So this is, I think, uh, going back to uh, your, you know, uh, what you tried to point out earlier about the sound mm. in the use, which yeah. I can relate as well to a lot of this, which is a sense of loneliness in a chaotic, stupid future where all this... Uh, you know the the, the chaos, the, the, the noise. You can see sight. You can see. Uh, you can almost a faint sound of uh, uh, police sirens in the background. But you always see the echo like sound. Mm. But, but uh, in the presence, you know the setting of the presence is always very quaint. You know, very silence, very calm. Mm. Yeah. True, true. But certainly in, in these days of uh, uh, so-called COVID-19, MCO or CMCO or RMCO and whatever other terms you want to use to describe the lockdown, there's a certain calmness uh, that I think uh, a lot of us are getting more than a little used to. Certainly that sense of loneliness is something that can be connected to what a lot of people are experiencing in today's day and age right now all over the world. Um, in fact, uh, when, we, when it comes to, to, I guess you could say, there's just one scene uh, when it comes to the issue of loneliness when the robot asked Loom whether he has any friends and he just responds by showing the number of friends he has on a social networking service, which is 2,700 something. So he should really be very, very popular. But then she basically just shut it down by saying, no, I'm talking about friends in real life. How many friends... Are you close to in real life? Um, so there is a question of the virtual made real and, and, and vice versa, um, which I think quite a lot of us are already experiencing, certainly in, in the uh, way a lot of us use uh, social media uh, like Facebook, you know, Instagram, Twitter and whatnot. There is that sense that we have quite a lot, but actually um, also a sense that right at the very heart of it, uh, a lot of people are also actually quite lonely so i think that's uh, one issue that this film touches on i think it also deals with the issue of automation uh the idea that robots and artificial intelligence are being prepped to do more of the work that previously would have been done by human beings and with more and more of this technology being made more and more available uh, in, in many parts of the world Essentially, a lot of human beings do feel as if they are being replaced. So there's this insecurity that should be dealt with or should be considered. Uh, in, in the context of the American presidential election, uh, certainly I am aware that Andrew Yang raised this as, as one of the key issues of his platform before he dropped out. And Joe Biden has taken it on, at least uh, very early on in, in the course of his presidential campaign. Uh, right now, I think the focus is on a lot more... Uh, a lot of the other stuff, um, usually beginning with the words uh, Donald and ending with the word uh, Trump. So mm, uh, we'll, we'll see what's going to happen there. I do have two quotes here, good brother, uh, that I think is quite interesting. It, it gets to the heart of the film as well. 
and and both are quotes from um, the the masseuse herself, if you will, or itself, if you wish. Uh, the, the the first one is: Do you think droids are Im- immune to feeling troubled? And then the other one is: No one should become anyone. Otherwise, what's the difference between you and us? If I were to ask you to pick just one of the one of these quotes to kind of really um, uh, pick as your as your preferred one, which one would it be and why? Uh, I will go for the I, I will go for the first one. The first one. Yeah. Uh, Do you think droids are immune to feeling troubled? Hmm. Okay. Yeah, why, think, and why would that be uh, your choice? Well, the thing is, you know, in the context of in the context of uh, movies, you know, particularly cyberpunk movies, it's always they always uh, bring this uh, story arc about cyborg or humanic or cybernetic organism or humanoid mm. longing to have emotions. Mm. You know, they want to. They want to become human. Mm. And uh, the catalyst uh, of that uh, sense of longing uh, always start with the relationship between the cyborg and and a human. Mm. And of, of course, you know, in a lot of uh, cyberpunk movies, that relationship always ends tragically. <laughs> yes. So uh, yeah, I think that's what the build you're, up. You're right. Of, yeah, it, it is always uh, quite tragic. The of that, uh, this cyborg try to, uh, you know, try to achieve that that you know, to have uh, emotions mm. uh, is what made this particular genre always have a remarkable storyline. Uh, so you know, it's so in a way, it's hard. I always say this, it's hard to go wrong with cyberpunk movies because you can always tell a compelling stories with the element that becomes standard in the okay. cyberpunk movies. You know, the relationship between cyborg and human, the rebelling against the authority, the totalitarian uh, government, the dystopian future. So you always create compelling stories. Mm. And of course, you know, compelling stories what makes a story compelling is a, tra- is a tragedy. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So, I I feel like, you know, it's much easier for me to invest in a character with that kind of story than rather than uh, standard romantic movies between two humans. Mm. Because I can understand the, uh, the, what? the risk, the, Challenges, and mm. I know it's not going to be uh, achievable. You know, so you are kind of uh, torturing yourself to see how it turns out, even though you know that you know it's going to be, uh, <laughs> you know, you're going to crash you. <laughs> so, yeah. So going back to that first sentence of uh, cyborg, what? What is it? what is the first quote again? Do you Cyborg think droids are immune to feeling troubled? Ah, yeah. yeah. Actually, it's not because the fact that they, they know they're immune to feeling trouble is the fact that what drives a lot of stories mm. of this particular genre. 
So that what that's what makes it interesting. Mm. So that's why I much more keen on the on the on that step on the first quote because that would actually represent the whole movie mm. in one way. Yeah, I, I would agree with you. Certainly, the robot is is the anchor, if you will, of this particular film. Uh, you do have the protagonist being Lung, and then he's the one who uh, goes through a, a certain kind of change that would mark him out as a protagonist that we can all relate to, because change is actually a very big part of that uh, process. But the anchor that, that allows for such a process to occur to begin with uh, is the robot, and I think... Um, it is very interesting that just within that particular context, you have that sense of doubt. You know, you you think you might know this um, this thing or this robot, but then you might not know because deep down you, you don't really know. Certainly, ideas about sentience and, and and consciousness these are very deep ideas and concepts that we have been talking about for generations, basically. And I think the misuse makes a good attempt at trying to kind of kupas balik a bit more of this concept in, in a very interesting way. Uh, so I, I quite like that. Um, I also like a, a particular shot in the film where we see the, the basically the shot is is her and then she's next to the window and it's like a medium shot of her from the waist up and then we see her face, the, the front part of her body is, is a lot more of it is facing to the camera. She's looking out the window but then she's also speaking to him and he's seated on this particular... Uh, massage table but we don't really see him we see a reflection of him in the mirror that's hung on a wall uh, in, in, in the back uh, in the background and and even then when we see the reflection it's not a complete reflection of him it's a reflection of his back so I feel like there's there's a lot of layers going on here if you are to apply a, a kind of standard form of film analysis anytime you see a mirror in a film that means something if you are to talk about film language, um, something that is reflected uh, in, in some shape or form through glass, through mirror, there's always something a little bit deeper going on here, more than meets the eye, so to speak. So I guess on some level, we could read this as him not being particularly complete. Like there's a, a strong lack when it comes to him, a, a certain sense of dissatisfaction. And I think the relationship I mentioned earlier with his father is a very big part of this uh, analysis. So he's not particularly complete. He is not a whole, uh, so to speak. But the droid, the TX-59, the, the one that's not human, is actually perhaps more more of a human and more humane um, than he was uh, perhaps at that moment in time. So so I think that's actually quite interesting. I, I'm also making a reading about something about migrant workers, and I don't know whether I'm reaching too far into this but basically there's this idea uh, that, that's running throughout the film of how these robots are probably not so good for us and they are taking something that that we should be able to do um, and it's dangerous for us and we should get rid of them and i think a lot of that discussion i can connect to a lot of the discussions that a lot of people have in countries like malaysia about migrant workers about the, the, the very labor who, who come to our country the people who come to our country to to work and to live and whatnot but in the Malaysian context, more often than not, certainly if you read newspapers and, and you consider the political discourse, we, we see a certain demonization and, and marginalization of the very people who, in, in, in some very literal cases, help to build our country. Um, 
So I think that's a, there's a certain connection that can be made to that because uh, she she speaks about being replaced, um, that she's easily disposed of, and and somebody else can easily come in to just do her job. So that that sense of um, disposability, uh, I, I feel, makes it. Uh, possible to to make that particular analysis but maybe i'm reading too much into this <laughs> i don't know whether that's just me um it's certainly something that's not just me uh you mentioned earlier about the oriental elements brother uh, i i don't disagree with you there uh the again if if the earlier part i just kept thinking blade runner and this part i just kept thinking wonka why <laughs> the um, and I'm sure other filmmakers are, of course, you know, very familiar with that kind of discourse. But I look at the film, I see Chongsam, I see Chinese girl, I see red lighting, I see bars, you know, um, like the, 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 the bars uh, on a window and whatnot. I'm, I'm going to think of In the Mood for Love. And I don't know whether that's fair or not, but that's the thing that jumps to mind. So, so in terms of the bars, there's the idea that, that she is in a way imprisoned by her predicament, by her fate, that her destiny is fixed no matter what she does. And, and I feel that on some level, uh, that, you know, the, the visual style element can be connected to, certainly in The Mood for Love, uh, a film by Wong Kar Wai. And also another one, um, There's Only One Sun, uh, a short film made by Wong Kar Wai to promote an LCD television. In fact, in that particular short film as well, the girl's haircut is actually nearly identical to the haircut of our protagonist, uh, or, or our or one of our protagonists. Maybe not Loom, but certainly the TX-59 is one of the main characters in the masseuse. Uh, it's identical to her haircut. So, again, I think in their research uh, for making the film, Tan Si Ding and his team uh, almost certainly uh, did some research to, to consider a bit more of that as well. Um, we are reaching the end of this particular episode, uh, but before we wrap up today's uh, session, what I want to do is just to try to place the masseuse uh, in the context of Malaysian science fiction. Because in, in a more general sense, Malaysian cinema, we, we don't really have a lot of films in the category or genre of science fiction. We do have a number. Uh, we, we have uh, XX Ray, which is always going to be one of my favorites. Um, certainly from, from the 90s. Um, and then more recently, we have films like Desolasi, Mantara, which, to be honest with you, I even I forgot was a film that existed. Um, Apocalypse X by Mamat Khalid. Uh, Brain Scan, Aku dan Topi Ajaib, directed by Ahmad Idham, <laughs> the, the aforementioned uh, CEO of Finas. Um, Goliath, War of the Worlds. Uh, have you seen Goliath, War of the Worlds, by the way, Mus? Uh, I came across uh, the movie. I know it's a, it's a product from the Crew Brothers, uh, the Crew the, the Crew production. Oh, is it? I, oh, okay. I, I wasn't. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I, so, I'm not so sure about that now. Um, we may have to look that up later on. But but yeah, okay. Continue. I um yeah, continue. Because I never watch it. I know I don't. I, I don't. I think I don't have the chance to watch it. Hmm. It's an animation movie. And uh, if I'm not mistaken, it's you know it was produced by the Carey brothers, mm. uh, but I don't have any idea what that movie is all about. I I I seen the poster uh, here okay. and there yeah. in my my time in 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 KL, but I don't really know. I guess it's about dystopian future as well. 
and wall. Yes. <laughs> and Goliaths. <laughs> um, it's, I mean, when you mentioned cyberpunk earlier, I, I don't know whether this film would fall into that category, but it just feels like it's the kind of anime film that would, uh, at the very least, catch your eye because uh, a lot of the films you mentioned earlier, like um, Ghost in a Shell and whatnot, uh, stylistically, I think there's uh, quite a, a fair number of elements that can be seen as, as identical uh, to such films. So perhaps if you can make the time, uh, you might find it uh, to be uh, more than a little interesting. Um Shukur Dobrasatu. I mean, <laughs> brothers and, and sisters, can we say Islamic science fiction? <laughs> because I think more than just a Malaysian science fiction, that's, that's a lot of um, what went on with uh, Shukur Dobrasatu. Uh, I mean, it's just, I don't know, to be honest with you, I, I saw some bits of it. I've not seen all of it, but it was that film at that time in the early noughties that tried to capture people's attention with something new. And I thought well, maybe for its target audience, it was successful. Um, but I do remember thinking, I think it was quite expensive at that time. I think it cost two and a half million or two million, more, more than that, probably even three million, if I'm not mistaken. Certainly for, for that moment in time, a lot was made of the budget and a lot of was made of the, the Islamic side of things. So... Um, but that's not really the question. The question I have for you, Moose, is in this context, where would you place the misuse? Like, you know, how would you rank it? Is it, it going to be somewhere near the top or is it maybe somewhere near the middle? Or is it something completely different that, that we should really um, consider in, in a different way relative to all these other films? I would say that the misuse is the first cyberpunk Malaysian movie. Ooh, so there's no like competition that. there. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think that he, it's uh, it's a successful movie in this you know, in the sense that it tried to be a movie with a you know it tried to make a movie in a particular genre. But if even if the filmmaker doesn't have any intention to do so, mm. but I label it as a cyberpunk movie. Uh, Going back to Malaysian uh, film, that's when it comes to sci-fi. I think uh, it's hard to see a lot of Malaysian movie when it comes to sci-fi genre. Mm. Uh, you see the catalog, there's not so much film going on there. Uh, I think that the problem with Malaysian film, does, uh, film scene when it comes to sci-fi is always focus on the story. Mm. You know, I think it's sci-fi is always about world building, right? You have to create the world believable enough to see that it's a future. Mm. Uh, it's a, you know, sci-fi is always about futures, uh, you know, world building, or high technology, so on and so forth. So they, they always try to, don't, they do, many of them don't want either they uh, deliberately don't want to make that as a parity or they don't have the resources to make that as a priority. Mm. So, uh, a lot of sci-fi movie in Malaysia uh, doesn't achieve that status of uh, iconic movie, probably. With the section of Sensory, you know? Sensory, I think, that's a pioneer in uh, 
la chaîne sci-fi euh, movie. I mm. don't recall any other sci-fi movie. I think it was even promoted as such. I think maybe on the posters, if I if I try to think now, if I try to think back to the posters, I feel that it was even promoted as like the first Malaysian science fiction film. I, I you know I'm not saying that it actually is, but I, now that I think about it, I, I feel like I can probably imagine those words, film science fiction Malaysia pertama ke ke, somewhere uh, on on the yeah, VHS think, cover. Now, now, now that you mentioned it, I kind of recall. As the blurbs say that the uh, it's the first Malay sci-fi movie. Mm. Yeah, I, I think I, I kind of, I kind of recall that 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 tagline being imprinted somewhere in mm. the market in the promotional material. Uh, yeah, but I don't know whether I can say this history as a sci-fi movie because it says it in present time at that point of time. And yeah, it's, 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 sci-fi it's sci-fi, is it not? Okay. I, it is. Um, I mean, it's it's comedy as well. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. Um, and 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 even now that I I think back to some of the scenes in the films, I mean, there's there's a fair amount of comedy. Much I'm Back to the Future, like, you know. I, I guess maybe the question is Back to the Future. Would you say Back to the Future is science fiction? I, no. I would say yes. <laughs> no. <laughs> no? <laughs> Uh, back the future is uh, because you know I I have a very different perspective on what makes a sci-fi movie. You know? Okay, uh, all right, fair back, enough. Fair yeah, enough. Uh-huh. The, for me, back to the future is like uh, action fantasy kind of movie. You know? mm, okay, so, I uh, see where you're coming from. Okay, uh, because for me, a sci-fi movie is something like set to the future. Mm-hmm. And uh, all in the parallel universe where uh, uh, you know it doesn't look like anything like the world that we live now. Mm. Uh, uh, like Star Wars, Star Wars is a sci-fi movie. No, oh, yeah, yeah. Well, that one is, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, Star Trek, is a sci-fi movie. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, it's very difficult to argue otherwise. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's not. It's oh, yeah. actually a bromance. <laughs> Yeah. Between Kirk I, and Spock, yeah. <laughs> or you can do it. Uh, you know, it, from one from one perspective, it can be a bromance movie. <laughs> yeah. yeah. How, how? I mean, if you look at you know, we, you, are you familiar with Sci-Fi Channel? There's a channel called Sci-Fi Channel. Oh yeah, yeah. Battlestar Galactica, yeah. brother. Yes, that's a Star Galactica, and there's a Star Trek. I think I don't think Star Trek. You know, Star Trek Enterprise. Mm. All these series we've been being podcast there, but you don't see Back to the Future in Sci-Fi Channel, isn't it? I think they probably don't have the money for the rights. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm not trying to downgrade Sci-Fi the channel, but it it feels like it's a channel that doesn't really have all that much money to begin with. So you'll see Babylon Five there or Red Dwarf, You're not yeah. gonna see Star Wars or. Um, Back to the future. <laughs> I mean, I mean, you're you're right. I see, I see where you're coming from. I, I, and and to be honest with you, I, plenty of food for thought here. Um, but yeah, I mean, yeah, sci-fi. I'm I'm, I'm relatively familiar with that. Firefly was on sci-fi, as well, right? Yeah, yeah, Firefly. I mean, the sci-fi channel is like that. Oh, maybe I'm wrong. Yeah. There's, there's like a theme of what they know. It's a sci-fi movie. Right? Hmm. Okay. Uh, okay. And 
hardly take place in the present time mm. with present setting. Uh, so even you know, like cyberpunk, you know, even though they have this, uh, what they know as uh, like an outdated uh, landscape, but mm. still it be infused with high technology that does not appear uh, available in our present of our real life. Okay, all right. So, you know, like, like the Matrix, right? The Matrix, you know, even though it's set in the present time, but the reality is something different. Mm. Uh, so, that for me, qualified as a side of uh, yeah. you know, cyberpunk, whatever, you know, how you want to place it. But Back to the Future, I don't know, man. It's, it's, it's entirely like, it's like time travel is not really part of, uh, you know, uh, sci-fi, even though they are time travel elements being played, uh, or being, 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 being played in a sci-fi movie, but that's entirely different discussion, story altogether. You, you talk uh, about time so, travel now. Sorry, uh, sorry, you were saying? Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, uh, uh, so it's hard to debate on this exact three thing, you know, because based on our interpretation of what makes a sci-fi movie. So, I mean, because back in the 90s, there's not much uh, resources or reference that you can make, you know, what you know as a sci-fi movie. Yeah, it's Malaysian life. references, like, yeah. Yeah, so, you you know, as you know, as you said, uh, as you know, 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 as you you know, it was it's one of my favorite movies. If you want to call it a sci-fi movie, I'm done with it. Hmm. Why yeah, would he go to so you? Yeah. He should come yeah. to me. Well, actually, you're closer. <laughs> India is closer, so I, I yeah, it makes more sense. Okay, fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> yeah. Okay, fair enough. Um, I think what we can definitely agree on is that the Masseuse is certainly a film that is worthy of your consideration. Ladies and gentlemen, um, a very good film, um, according to Moose. And you know what? I, I, I'm inclined to agree uh, with Moose. One, one of, if not the first uh, Malaysian cyberpunk film uh, on, on some levels. So do check it out. Uh, but for now, we have reached the end of the podcast, uh, at least for today's episode. Um, Brother Moose, uh, any more for any more? Are we good? No, we're good, man. It's already 1 a.m. in India right now. Yes. So, my right. capacitor is it will be recharged as a cyborg. Yeah. I sleep and charge myself. Yeah, make sure you get the plugs right. You don't <laughs> want to get the, you don't want to plug the wrong wires into the wrong holes. Um, that might lead to other side effects uh, that may not be covered by your doctor. But for now, um, I'm good as well. Uh, thank you very much, uh, dear listeners, uh, for your time and your effort uh, to listen to this podcast whenever and wherever you may be in the world. Um, okay, Moose, say goodbye, brother Moose. Bye, everyone. See you in the next episode. Yep. And have a good day ahead. Stay safe. Yes, uh, I would echo such sentiments for... It is a goodbye for me as well.
Bye-bye. Everything is okay. I'm